uh, your word, God. I thank you for the book of Philippians and for Paul and just uh, all that we've been able to learn in the last uh, few months as we've been looking through this book. God, I pray that this morning you would be glorified. It's in your name that I pray. Amen. Okay. Well, every winter, all of Hollywood gets together and they celebrate the best films and performances of the past year at an event known as the Academy Awards or the Oscars. Maybe you guys have heard of this once or twice. Um, there are a couple categories that usually stick out with the best picture, uh, and they're kind of considered the main events of the show. It's the best actor and the best actress. Uh, there are countless articles written about who might win and why they should win or why they shouldn't. Um, and the reason why people care so much about this is because, well, when it comes to movies and televisions, television, people usually want to see the star of the show. Right? That's, that's kind of, uh, you know, they get paid the most money. That's the uh, person that people are usually most interested in. Well, at the Oscars, earlier in the night, usually maybe one of the first couple awards, they also give out a, uh, an award called the Best Supporting Actor and Best Supporting Actress category. Uh, the way they differentiate between supporting and best actor is uh, they just kind of the screen time where the focus is put on in a movie. So if there are two actors in this movie and they, one guy is there most of the time, the other guy is not there as much, well, he gets the best actor nod. Uh, but they like to, you know, let people know who is the best supporting as well. Uh, when we're watching these movies, it's usually pretty easy to tell who the star of the show is. Uh, maybe if you've seen Lord of the Rings, you know that Samwise Gamgee is not the star of The Lord of the Rings, right? Frodo Baggins is. Uh, on TV, when you think of the show 24, you don't think of Chloe O'Brien, you think of Jack Bauer, right? Um, and as important as George, Elaine, and Kramer were to Seinfeld, we all know that the star of the show was Jerry Seinfeld. Uh, the supporting characters have shown up in hundreds of pieces of fiction and movies and television, um, and their purpose is to help the main character. Their purpose is to shine a light on them. In our lives, it's very easy for us to think that we're the main character of our life, right? It's very easy for us to focus on ourselves. I spend more time with me than I spend with anyone else. So it's easy for me to think that I'm the main character. And culture kind of pushes us to, to think this way too, from our best life now to, uh, you know, if it makes you happy, do it. The focus is put on us. Well, this morning, Joe read a passage um, that talked about how Paul was taking the light away from us and focusing it on Christ. We want to be the best actor of our life. That's kind of our, our uh, natural inclination as, human, as humans. But what God calls us to is to be the best supporting actor. He wants us to be focusing our whole life on Jesus Christ. Uh, if, we were the, if our life was The Tonight Show, we wouldn't be Jimmy Fallon, right? We probably wouldn't even be The Roots. None of us are cool enough to be The Roots, let's be honest. But we'd be Higgins. We'd be the guy whose job is to make the star seem great. Um, 
Our purpose is to shine a light on Jesus. There's a song that uh, an artist, Paul Coleman, sings, and the chorus says, I want to be the moon. It reflects the sun. Don't want to be the star that shines on everyone. The moon is just a reflection of the sun, and the sun is, is a star. It's the star. So he's saying, I don't want to be the star. I just want to shine the light that comes from Jesus. I want to shine the light on him. Um, and Paul doesn't just give us this command and leave us to figure it out on our own. Uh, he shows us some ways that we can change our focus in order to accomplish this. So this morning, we're going to see how we can win the best supporting actor of our life by focusing on the right people, the right things, and the right place. Let's see if this still works. There we go. So where is your focus? The first thing we're going to focus on is the right people. In Philippians chapter 3, 17, where we started out this morning, Paul says, Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Paul starts out by saying, imitate me. Uh, if you've come to our um, Wednesday night prayer meeting and Bible study, since we've been going through Philippians, you might have found, you know, every couple of weeks, somebody points out, I think we need to stop and remember, Paul is writing this letter from prison. Right? There's just something that will stick out and it'll make us think, oh yeah, he's in prison while he's writing this. Well, as I was reading this, that jumped out to me. Paul, you want me to be like you? Dude, you're in prison. Why am I going to imitate you? Why do I want to be like you? Um, it seems pretty crazy. I can imagine uh, sweet Daisy, my five-month-old daughter, growing up and uh, you know, going to church somewhere and saying, oh, dad. You should have heard the pastor. This week, he was talking about how last week he got thrown in jail because of how he stood up for what he believed in. I want to go knock the guy out, right? I don't want her to think she should go to jail. This is crazy. Um, Paul is saying you, to imitate me. Uh, in Matthew Henry's commentary, he puts it this way. The apostle had pressed them to follow him and other ministers of Christ's. Why, might they say, you are a company of poor, despised, persecuted people who make no figure and pretend to no advantages in the world. Who will follow you? Nay, he says, but our conversation is in heaven. We have a near relation and a great pretension to the other world and are not so mean and despicable as we are represented. It's good having fellowship with those who have fellowship with Christ and conversation with those whose conversation is in heaven. Why would I want to follow somebody who has no, no earthly reward, who is not looked upon well by the world? Because his thoughts and his mind are focused on Jesus Christ. Paul was audacious in saying this. When I read, imitate me, I think, whoa, whoa. I don't want to be telling anybody to follow me, right? I don't want to be telling anybody to do what I do because I know there's a lot of things I do that I shouldn't be doing, right? But he was audacious in saying, imitate me. And this is kind of um, interesting to read in light of what Pastor Kyle was talking about last week. Last week, 
Paul was saying, hey, I don't have it all figured out. He said, he said I don't consider myself to, to have taken hold of this. Right? Pastor Kyle talked about how he was humble in this. This week he's saying, hey, imitate me. Paul didn't allow his failures to prevent him from leading. He was honest about his shortcomings. He, he was humble. He said, look, I get it. I don't, I don't have it all down. But he still said, follow me. That's a great example to us. He didn't allow his imperfections to prevent him from leading. Uh, in verse 17, after he says to join in imitating me, he also says, keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. So he's not just saying imitate me, but also keep your focus on the right people. In, um, in this verse where it says keep your eyes on, the Greek word is uh, skopeo, which, uh, you know, I kind of think of it like to scope out. I feel like, it, it, you know, that's kind of where that came from. But the definition is to look towards an object, to contemplate, give attention to, literally to spy out. Uh, this isn't something that you just fall into. You don't just fall into following the right people and focusing on the right people. He's saying, keep your eyes on. Go, find them. You have to scope them out. You have to spy them out. Um, it carries with it a, a connotation of seeking out the people to follow. Who are you watching? Are you taking advice from your friends at work? or uh, at school, or a neighbor, maybe somebody who, you know, their life is in rough shape too. And it's, it's not to say that you can't be friends with them or whatever, but you need to find wise people to take advice from. Um, maybe there's nobody that you watch. Maybe you think, I can just do this on my own. I don't need anybody around. I don't need to be looking to anybody for an example. Maybe you watched your parents and you said, well, I'm just not going to do what they did. <laughs> uh, Paul's encouragement is to imitate him and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Get yourself some good friends. Find some good people to keep around you, to keep your eyes on, to watch. Um, my mom was a great example uh, because she didn't only pray for me when I was a kid. Uh, but she also prayed for my friends and for friends that I hadn't even met yet. And I've kind of tried to take that and pray for Daisy in the same way because she knew how important the people around you are, right? Um, this past week, uh, or excuse me, this coming week, uh, I'm going to start a new job. I'm really excited about this. And uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, and you know what? It's kind of great. There's been a lot of people here in this church that are really excited too. Um, I've been looking for a job for a while, and people have been coming up and saying, hey, I was praying for you this week. How did the interview go? Or, hey, how did that uh, situation go? I was thinking about you. I just want you to know uh, I'm praying for you. I care. There are a lot of good people around. There are a lot of people that have a great example to follow. Um, I'm watching that and remembering when I'm seeing other people who are maybe going through a similar situation. Hey, I need to pray for them and I need to let them know that I'm praying for them. Sorry about that, guys. Um, so the flip side to, having, to focusing on the right people and having the right people around you 
is following the wrong people, which Paul warns against in verse 18. He says, For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. That's, pretty, that's a pretty harsh saying, enemy of the cross of Christ. Um, so what makes these people enemies of the cross of Christ? Paul gives three examples of things that they focus on that results in their destruction. So first he told us to focus on the right people, and now he's telling us to focus on the right things. I know this is groundbreaking stuff, guys. Um, the first thing he says in verse, we'll read uh, Philippians 3.19, it says, Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. So the first thing he says, their God is their belly. This is really funny and strange, a weird thing to say, their God is their belly. I can't imagine that they're sitting around building altars to their own stomachs or, you know, worshiping them. Um, But, you know, certainly food is incorporated into this, but the larger idea is that they are driven by their carnal, fleshly desires, right? It's what they want. They worship their own desires above all else. That is their God. When we allow ourselves to be ruled by our desire for things that build us up, versus things that build up the kingdom of God, then we're on a path to destruction. Matthew 6.25 says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? He's telling us, this is Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, he's telling us, don't even worry about food and clothes. Now, that's like base needs in life, right? Like, this is what we think, okay, everything else, but I need, to, I need these things. And he's saying, don't even worry about those. Your life is more than that. This world tells us that we deserve the best of everything and that we shouldn't stop until we get it. Well, it's not bad to have nice things, but if our driving force is this stuff, then we're setting ourselves up for failure and destruction. The second thing that he says in verse 19 is that they gloried in their shame. Uh, Have you ever had a discussion with someone who was so proud of something that you found repulsive? Um, It's kind of an awkward place to be. I had a friend who was recently telling me about a job that, that he got And he was so excited that God provided him this job that was under the table so he didn't have to pay taxes. And I thought, well, I get not wanting to pay taxes. Sure, I don't really want to pay taxes. But I don't really think that God was excited to provide you with something that he explicitly tells us not to do in the Bible. Maybe you've had a conversation like this. Maybe you've talked to someone who said, God brought this person into my life, and I am so excited for this relationship. And I know that they're still married to somebody else, but I know that God wants them to be with me. Look, these are things that that we're supposed to find shameful, but we're glorifying them. We're we're making them seem like the right thing. Uh, 
I was reading in some different versions of the Bible as I was preparing, and in the message, it says, uh, it doesn't say um, they glory in their shame. It says, belches are their praise. I thought that was kind of funny. Belches are their praise. These things that we know are gross, they're making as a great thing. Uh, Being proud of something that you should be ashamed of is a clear example of not having a kingdom mind. Your thinking is backwards. Uh, There's a couple of big stories recently that uh, seemed connected in my mind, uh, but I haven't seen many people connect them. Uh, Maybe they have and I've just missed it. But in September, uh, Hugh Hefner passed away. He was 91 years old and uh, he was the founder and owner of Playboy. Uh, If you go to a store with magazines near the checkout, you might see uh, a Time Magazine tribute edition to him. Uh, to his life, like I did on my way out of Target the other day. Uh, Many people were mourning his loss and the impact that he had on American culture. And one week later, uh, there was a New York Times piece that came out detailing accusations of sexual harassment against movie producer Harvey Weinstein. Um, This probably, you guys, I'm pretty sure you probably have heard both these stories. But, you know, I just figured I'd set it up, make sure we knew where we were coming from. Uh, After this piece, many women felt empowered to share their own experiences by using the hashtag MeToo. Maybe you guys saw that on social media. A lot of people who were were, uh, victims of sexual harassment, uh, you know, they, they felt like they could share this because it was a little bit more out in the open. Uh, It's crazy to me, though, that we don't see the connection of these two things. We're praising Hugh Hefner for his uh, contributions to society, and then we're denigrating Harvey Weinstein. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't be, uh, but it's crazy that we don't see the connection. When we glory in our shame, our end is destruction. Even though things came out after his death, after Hugh Hefner's death, about the way that he treated people, uh, especially women, there were still people who were were glorifying him. Uh, What things do you glorify? I struggle with wanting stuff. I'm kind of a gadget guy. I like things. Uh, So that is something that I glorify. Uh, For others, it might be validation or money or comfort or sex. Our glory should come from heavenly victories, not earthly things. Our glory should come from showing the love of Christ to those around us and worshiping God. We need to have a clear, focused kingdom mindset so that we're treating the right things as right and the wrong things as wrong. And this is what he says uh, last. He says, their minds were set on earthly things. That's kind of what we're talking about a little bit here. When he says it that way, their minds are set on earthly things, it doesn't seem like such a bad thing. You're just thinking about earthly things. But he's a little bit more forceful in his choice of words, uh, Paul, in Galatians chapter 4. He says, the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world. Weak, worthless, elementary. That's his description of worldly things. Um, it's stuff that doesn't matter in comparison to the heavenly things that Jesus is at work doing. Paul says in Romans 12, to prevent yourself from being 
conform to the world, you need to renew your mind, right? Renew it. That means it needs to change. Uh, our minds tend to want to focus on us to make us the star of the show. But we need to change it and renew it so that we change our focus. Uh, back in 1957, there was a gentleman named C. Northcote Parkinson. And he came up with an argument called Parkinson's Law of Triviality. Uh, it says that members of an organization give disproportionate weight to trivial issues. Uh, and he used the example of a committee's deliberations on an atomic reactor, excuse me, contrasting it to deliberations on a bicycle shed. As he put it, the time spent on any item of the agenda will be in inverse proportion to the sum of money involved. A reactor is so vastly expensive and complicated that an average person can't understand it. So one assumes that those who work on it understand it. On the other hand, everyone can visualize a cheap, simple bicycle shed. So planning one can result in endless discussions because everyone involved wants to add a touch and show personal contribution. No, well, this is even a, a business term now, bike shedding is what they call it. Um, focusing too much on things that don't matter. Uh, we all know how to build a bike shed, right? We can all kind of figure some stuff out on that, but an atomic reactor, I have no clue. So we're spending, they spent all this time focusing on the bicycle shed versus the atomic reactor when obviously that's the more important thing. You know, this doesn't just happen in business. I think we can see this in church a lot. And I'm not really throwing stones at anybody else because I know I really struggle with this. When we're getting together to plan some of our events, maybe the trunk or treat or Santa at the manger that's coming up, uh, so much of my thoughts and focus is on the minutia of the event, of how, to, how it comes together, of the different things that we need to do, and, and they're important, right? Like, we want to put on a good event. We want to have people enjoy their time here. But how much am I thinking about the purpose of the event? How much, wh what is the purpose? Am I remembering that we're trying to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ, to make connections with people, to show them love? If I spend all my time thinking about, well, I need to make sure I get my part of the project done, and I need to make sure I pick up what I need to and get there on time. Those are all important, but if I'm not giving thought to the purpose, what are we losing? What are we, uh, what are we losing out on? Oftentimes, we allow ourselves to be consumed by things that won't matter five years from now, never mind in eternity. Yet people around us are hurting, and some are on their way to hell. And we spend our days focused on earthly things. I say we because, believe me, this is me. Uh, recently, I had an incident with my laptop. I love this laptop. I dreamed about this laptop. I've named this laptop. Uh, recently, I was getting out a charger, and I hit the screen with the plug. Now, usually, I'm really careful around this thing. But... For whatever reason, I hit it. I didn't really think it was going to be that big a deal until I turned on the laptop, and there it was, the vertical line down the screen. <sighs> Luckily, my mother-in-law was there. 
If she wasn't, I don't know how I would have reacted. <laughs> I somehow have still convinced her that her daughter didn't marry an idiot. And I didn't want to ruin that to that day too. Needless to say, the amount of angst and attention that I paid to this gadget was way more than is necessary. Every time I turn it on, I still feel the angst. <laughs> Um, as I was prepare, preparing for this sermon, I was telling Tammy about kind of what it was about. And she was like, oh, are you going to use as an illustration what happened with the laptop? <laughs> I was like, thanks, hon. I get it. I overreacted to the laptop. <laughs> um, another result of, of focusing on earthly things versus heavenly things is how easy it is to get lost in fear and anxiety. Uh, like we read earlier in Matthew 6:25, Jesus said, "Don't worry about what you'll eat or drink or wear. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Seek that before our earthly needs." Now we talked before about renewing your mind and how it's a change. This is a huge change. This is not uh, something that comes natural to people. But when I'm focused on heavenly things, I'm comforted by the presence of the Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm reminded of the times that he's provided for me and for others. And I'm reminded of the works that he's performing now that are more important than my earthly needs or comforts. Ephesians 6.12 says, We don't wrestle against flesh or blood, but against principalities and powers. Even our foes are not earthly. Even what we battle against is not earthly. It's heavenly. Your coworker or family member or neighbor who's annoying you and you feel like you're in a battle with them, it's a spiritual battle that you're having. Having a kingdom mind will be the answer. If we try to fight against the earthly things, then we're not going to win the war. It's because we're fighting the wrong enemy. We need to fight the right enemy, the spiritual battle. To me, when he says to uh, keep our minds set on earthly things, as difficult as this focus might be, um, there are two things that give me hope in this idea. Uh, God isn't asking us to do everything on our own. He'll help us, and he's only asking us that we change our focus. He isn't asking us to be so smart that we convince everyone in the world that he's Lord and Savior. He isn't asking us to solve the world's food crisis or water crisis. Uh, for the most part, our day-to-day -day life might not even change very much. You're still going to go to work. You're still going to hang out with your family. You're still going to do laundry and make dinner and pick up your kids from school. But the difference is the why. Why are you doing it? 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whatever you do, do for the glory of God. So the way you glorify him through your work might be different than the way I do through my work, but I promise you, if you go to him and ask him, he's going to show you. He's going to show you how to do it. Um, also, secondly, the, the second thing that gives me hope is that he's only asking us to do what is now the natural thing for us. If you've become saved, God has put the Holy Spirit in you. And you have this spirit. This is really what you desire. And sometimes we don't see that. But it's almost like uh, when you train yourself for anything, the more you do it, the more you realize 
this is what I want. Like, I want my focus to be on heaven. I feel most fulfilled and joyful when it is. So the more you do it, the more you realize, yeah, I would rather be focused on that than on earthly things. It's where I'm fulfilled, where I'm satisfied. I want you to take a, sec- a second to think about what percentage of your thoughts on a day-to-day basis are focused on heavenly things and what percentage are focused on earthly things. This isn't a guilt thing. Rather, it's a way to check ourselves. Uh, there have been times in my life where I've tracked... Um, like maybe done Weight Watchers, where I tracked everything that I ate all day. Or uh, when we're doing a, a budget, I'll track every dollar that I spend, write it down or, or put it in an app or whatever. Without fail, I always realize that I eat way more than I think I eat and spend way more than I think I spend. <laughs> um, but when you track it, uh, it kind of gives you a good idea of where you stand. It's kind of good, it would kind of be difficult to track what our focus is, what our thoughts are. Uh, but if we can just stop and be mindful of it each day, maybe at the end of the day, we say, uh, you know, when I was driving to school, what was I focused on? What was I thinking about? When I was driving to work or when I had this meeting with this person, where was my focus? And as we start to think about it more and more, we'll go into it with the right focus. And then we'll see these kingdom things, these eternal things that are all around us all the time. Um, was I thinking about why I'm doing this, and do I even know why I'm doing it? How many things do we do that we're, we lack focus so much that we don't even know why we do it? We've lost sight of, of even the why. Is the purpose for the kingdom of God? And if the purpose isn't for the kingdom of God, is this something that I can cut out? Is this something that I don't have to be doing so that I can do something else that is focused on the kingdom of God? So Paul's told us to focus on the right people and the right things. And now he also says, well, uh, he also says to focus on the right place. And this is from Philippians 3, uh, 20 and 21. It says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Our citizenship is in heaven. This is not our home. And that's kind of difficult to grasp because... It's been the only home that we've known here on earth. But our home is not here. It's in heaven. The lengths to which biblical writers go to enforce this point should make us take note. 1 Peter 2.11 says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Sojourners and exiles. This isn't your home. This isn't where you belong. You're passing through. John 17, 14 says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. We're not of the world anymore. John 18, 36 says, Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. 
but my kingdom is not from this world. James 4.4 4 says, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And 1 John 2.15, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. These are harsh sayings. They do not, they don't mix words here. A friend of the world is an enemy of God. If you have the love of the world, the love of the Father is not in you. This is not our home. The world is not where we have our citizenship. Um, Paul would be writing to the, to the Philippians, and, and Philippi was a Roman colony in a foreign land. So it was kind of dropped in, uh, in another land, but you were a Roman citizen uh, if, if you were a Philippian. And verse 20 mentions the citizenship in heaven as a contrast to their citizenship in Rome. Paul is reminding them of where their true loyalty lies. And I think this is helpful for us, too, as Americans, because I think sometimes we can get ourselves kind of mixed up um, in where our loyalties lie. Sometimes I think our uh, citizenship to America overshadows our citizenship in heaven. And I think that we need to remember that our nationalism can't get in the way of our Christianity, right? We need to question whether our beliefs are based on American beliefs or based on the Bible. Where, now, it may be the same belief, but where is the focus? It's more in the why. Why do you believe it? Um, you might come to a different conclusion than someone else doing the same thing because not all of our arguments about gun control and... Um, gay marriage and any other you know, political argument, they're not all so cut and dry in the Bible. So you might come to a different opinion than somebody else who is also looking. But you need to be able to back up your opinion in Scripture. You need to be able to back up your opinion in what God says, not just because um, this is what our country believes. Our loyalty is to God first. Um, we had a great example of a kingdom mindset and people being focused on the, their citizenship in heaven versus their citizenship on earth. Um, just this week here at Refuge Church, uh, Pastor Kyle made a comment on a Facebook picture about uh, the different churches that donated these chairs that we sit in uh, this morning and how they were kingdom-minded churches. Even on a whole church level, it's important to have uh, to be thinking of heaven more than earth. An earthly-minded church might have said, we have our own uh, things going on, we have our own ministries, we, have a, we need this money uh, for, for ourselves. But these kingdom-minded churches, he said it was uh, Vida Nova, Mercy House, and City Church, they said, we're going to work for the kingdom of God. We're not going to work so that we look good. We're not going to work so our church has more people and we can say that at the next meeting that we go to. They said, we're working for the kingdom of God. And these random people up in Warren, excuse me, Warren Rhode Island, um, they're part of the kingdom and we want to help them serve. Uh, it's not just about our own church. It's about the kingdom of God. Earlier I spoke about Paul asking people to imitate him from jail. And we struggle with this idea 
because our impulse is to protect ourselves and, and those around us. That's, that's kind of a natural uh, impulse. But what are we protecting? Our safety and our lives on earth, right? Well, Paul is clearly living what he preaches because he tells us that our safety is not the be-all, end-all. He says the heavenly citizenship that we have reminds us that our earthly citizenship is secondary. The heavenly citizenship of those early Christians was evidenced in Philippians 1 when Paul says his imprisonment has actually emboldened others to preach the gospel. He was in jail and it was making others do what he was doing, exactly what we talked about at the beginning. This reminds me of like firefighters, right? They always talk about how everybody's running from the fire, but the firefighters are running towards it, right? Paul's in prison. And all these people are running to join him. They're doing the same thing that he was doing because they see there's a fire. They see that there's a problem. They understood the importance of what they believed. I'm sure you've heard the phrase, a life and death situation. What we believe is that we're dealing with eternal life and eternal death situations. That's what we're in. That's the battle that we're in. And it takes a lot of focus on the right people, the right things, and the right places to make sure that we're not missing out on these opportunities to prepare for these battles. Paul adds at the end of this passage a reminder of what awaits us. He says, We await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. This reminds me of uh, the upcoming Advent season that we have. We're awaiting a Savior who's going to come and transform us. Um, in 2 Corinthians 5.1, Paul says, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And in context, he's talking about uh, the earthly body. So he's saying, this is a tent. What we have here is just a tent. Look, you're in it for the weekend because you went camping and you needed, a play, you needed something to go over your head. It's nothing compared to your house, right? Our time here is, what is, he, um, what is Paul saying now? I forgot where the verse is. Um, but, or excuse me, James says uh, in verse uh, 14 of chapter 4, he says, uh, Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. We put so much focus on things that will vanish. And yet we miss out on things that are, will be for eternity. So where is our focus? Matthew 6, 21 says, Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Is your mind set on earthly things or on kingdom work? Uh, a few months ago, uh, Daisy was just starting to, uh, Daisy's my daughter, uh, she was just starting to uh, learn how to kind of play with things. She's five months now, and 
Yeah, she's grabbing a hold of something back there. But she was just uh, learning how to try to touch things and grab them and hold them. And uh, she was sitting on my lap, and she was playing with whatever toy she had, and she was just totally engrossed in it. Uh, she was amazed by probably Cowie. Um, and she just spent a, a lot of time focused on that toy. And I sat there for maybe about 10 minutes. And I didn't say anything. I just let her do her thing. And, uh, and finally, I said, hey, or you know, made some noise. And she jumped. And she turned and looked. She had completely forgot that I was there. She was sitting on my lap, and she had forgotten that I was there at all. Um, she looked up in shock, and she got excited. Uh, sometimes we do this with God, right? We're sitting in, in the lap of our Heavenly Father, and we have this little toy that we're playing with, and we're so lost in that toy. We're so lost in our lives here on earth that we forget that we're sitting here with God. I'm, I was amazed that she could forget and become so easily distracted. I was sitting there thinking about where she's going to get her next meal and how we're going to pay the rent. And she was engrossed in a little toy cow. We find ourselves engrossed in the minutiae of this life while sitting on the lap of our father who has grand plans for eternity. What are you allowing to eat up your focus? Are you just going through your days completely unfocused? All we have to do is focus on the right people, things, and place, and we can give God the glory that he desires and deserves. Please join me in prayer. Dear God, I just thank you for speaking to me, Lord. I thank you for your reminders of where our focus needs to be. God, I thank you that you give us grace. And even when we get off track, you help us back on track and you help us to remember what, what we need to focus on, Lord. God, I pray you would help us to see your heavenly kingdom, that you would help us to live with eternity in mind. God. We love you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Uh, at this time, we're